0: The person who is breathing is me. Doom Patrol is one of the greatest comic book TV shows I've ever seen. Filled to the brim with humor, action, and heart, the show is carried by its collection of misfits and castaways. With characters like Larry Trainer, Cliff Steele, and Crazy Jane, Doom Patrol puts the spotlight squarely on its cast, showcasing each and every one of their flaws and failures. And no one shines under the bright lights quite like Rita Farr. But with the smoke and mirrors associated with Hollywood fame coupled with decades of crippling imposter syndrome, who exactly is Rita Farr? Welcome to another Geek Explained Extra. This time we're coming to you as part of the Praise Patrol series, put together by Good Brother Cole of Critical Rants and working in tandem with comic tubers like Owen Likes Comics for Every Kind of Geek and more. Make sure you check out the entire playlist of video essays on YouTube. Link will be in the description. Now this series is basically a love letter to the Doom Patrol, and when trying to come up with what I wanted to talk about, I kept coming back to Rita Farr. Throughout the first and second seasons of the show, Rita has been consistently my favorite character to follow along with from episode to episode. Her journey of redemption and search for identity are not only super compelling, but something I think we can all connect to. But before we try to f- decide who Rita Farr is, it's important that we establish who Rita Farr was. Born Gertrude Cramp at some point in the early 1920s, the girl who would become Rita Farr was raised by her parents to idolize Hollywood fame and fortune, so much so that her parents would tell her to introduce herself under her stage name and would not refer to her by her birth name more than a handful of times, parents of the year. Uh, At some point, her father was no longer part of the picture, and Rita's mother would routinely perform favors, using quotations, for well-known producers to get Rita roles. Over the years, her star would rise, eventually making Rita Farr a household name. Unfortunately, due to her mother's influence as well as the influence of 1940s Hollywood, Rita became vain and ruthless in her pursuit of fame. This culminated in 1955, where during a production of the film Forbidden Congo, Rita's prejudices resulted in an amputee cameraman getting fired. Following this, Rita fell into a riverbank and was exposed to some kind of unknown toxic gas. This gas turned her cells unstable and resulted in her entire body becoming elastic. Now, when I say elastic, I don't mean in the fun, stretchy way like Reed Richards or Elastigirl in the Incredibles. In fact, her powers are honestly closer to someone like Clayface. Uh, Rita's bioelasticity takes the form of her body routinely becoming malleable during moments of emotional stress. It can be anything from subtle changes, like her face seemingly melting, to much more bombastic examples, like her gigantic blob form in the series premiere. And whenever her powers kind of go on the fritz, she centers herself and she has to calm herself down by saying this mantra. The person who is breathing is me because she has to remember to basically physically pull her body together into the form of Rita Farr, which I think is also super fascinating because all of the times that we see her saying this, she doesn't know who she is, even as she says this. Now, all of this contributes to Rita's loss of identity and sense of self being completely in flux. She has no idea who she is from the beginning of the series and through most of season one. So, with all the pretense out of the way, let's try and piece together who Rita Farr is. Now, throughout the first season, Rita struggles to figure that out, but it's not for lack of trying. Unfortunately, her journey is impeded by her worship of the image she had designed herself in her former life. Rita, like many actors, is obsessed with image. Whether it's the 1950s or now, Hollywood is all about the persona you put forth, and Rita's persona was fueled by her experiences. Her mother's influence on her life and the idealization of Hollywood vanity is present in everything she does, from the way she dresses to her uh, North Atlantic accent, uh, her room, at the Manor is covered from wall to wall in posters from her old movies and pictures she'd taken over the years. So she has some kind of idea at the beginning of the series on who the image of Rita Farr is, but throughout the first season she doesn't know who Rita Farr is now without all of the Hollywood glitz and glamour. So she starts this search throughout the entire, uh, really the entire show, but really it kind of kicks off during the episode Cult Patrol. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched the episode, first of all, shame on you. But, <laughs> uh, second of all, Cult Patrol kind of centers around this character named Elliot, who was raised by this cult to be essentially the Antichrist. And during the, uh, kind of protection that the doom patrol has for elliot while they're like fighting off i think it's like two different kinds of cults um rita makes this real connection with elliot because she just like elliot is kind of fighting against her instincts because of her uh, previous experiences she wants nothing to do with being a quote-unquote hero um the events of the first couple episodes the pilot and then donkey patrol really kind of set her on this um weird uh aversion to anything heroic and she ends up kind of reluctantly stepping into that role when she helps to save elliot from uh trying to kill himself basically she finds him as he's about to jump out of a window and she tells him you know this is like she basically against all of her better judgment she's like packed her bag she's like i'm leaving uh she finds elliot and she basically tells him you know she uses the words you know this world is a beautiful and terrible place and she says you know we may not be able to help you you know we've failed before but can you at least give us a chance to try and uh, next scene, you know, she's brought Elliot in, she's, you know, convinced him not to try and kill himself. And everyone's like, Oh, man, Rita's back. What is she doing here? And Rita says a snake can change her stripes. She's like, you know, maybe a snake can change her stripes. And obviously, you know, the joke is made that I don't think that's the saying. But it. I think it is. Like, from a writing standpoint, I think that's intentional because as we come to find out from, you know, Rita's flashback sequences, her uh, being haunted by the specter of some girl uh, who we will get into in just a second, uh, Rita kind of views herself as a snake. She views herself as this um, slimy, slithery character who did what she had to do to uh, get ahead in Hollywood. And this... Uh, this phrase, you know, a snake can change her stripes, I think is actually more appropriate than they want you to think. Because she genu- she genuinely wants to change. She wants to shed the skin of the, you know, famous Hollywood actress Rita Farr and find out what she can become afterwards. Uh, it's pretty clear, though, that she is still super inept in this regard especially this early on in the series she crumbles under any kind of pressure uh my favorite part is when you know they're trying to uh, escape from the uh from the cult and kipling had like set up this ring of beads and they like accidentally went through them and he's like this isn't gonna work this isn't gonna work and rita's like i am being a good person and you are absolutely ruining this moment for me it is my favorite quote from rita in the entire first season it's so good um but unfortunately her first uh her first attempt at heroism runs straight into a brick wall because uh she doesn't save Elliot. He does end up getting taken by the cult and used to kickstart Doomsday. And there is this just tragic scene where um she's trying to like tell Elliot, like, I know you feel like you failed. I know like we feel like we failed, but We should try and make something good about this. You know, where do you want to go? And he, you know, gives her this smile and he just disintegrates in front of her. And it's this, oh man, I I tear up just thinking about it. Like you could see how much that failure hits her because she tried to make a change and she failed. And the next big kind of uh, breakthrough for her is during the episode therapy patrol where Everyone is kind of putting their cards on the table, everyone's making realizations, and Rita makes this big realization in this episode where she kind of comes to grips with the idea that the uh, Rita Farr, Hollywood actress, was a facade, was this um, fallacy that she had been trying to keep up, this image Uh, For decades at this point, it's been 60 years by the time the first uh, season kicks off. And she says, I don't want to be her anymore, but without her, I don't know who I am. And just like in any kind of recovery or any kind of, uh, you know, 12 step, 6 step, whatever step program, realizing the problem is, you know, half the battle. And her deciding, like, I want to find out who I am without this Uh, fake Rita that I'm leaving behind really helps push her into who she's supposed to be and part of that is facing her past you know you can't move forward without coming to grips with what's behind you and in the episode Flex Patrol we finally get this um We finally get to the answer as to what this, you know, vision that she keeps having of this crying woman throughout the series has been. And she tells this story to who we later find out to be Mr. Nobody, but to her is just this old man. Um, She tells the story about Gene Stanton where it was this, like, Hollywood producer who was trying to get in her pants constantly, and when her uh, when her career started to slow down, she started connecting him with other actresses. She started arranging for him to meet other actresses, and then she started getting calls again. So she uh, had this, you know, business partnership with Gene where she would get him, you know, these young starlets to, you know, hook up with, and then he would get her, you know, roles. And everything kind of... Worked like clockwork for her until Mary Beth Wooten, who was a girl who trusted Rita implicitly. And after arranging for her to meet Jean, nine months later, she's pregnant. Or nine months later, I think she has a baby. And she's coming to Rita. She's like, no one will, you know, accept my calls. I can't tell anyone that... This is Jean's baby. And so Rita, not wanting to, you know, deal with this, basically, you know, gives her like a hundred bucks and sends her on her way. And then a week later she finds out that Mary Beth killed herself. And you realize, as does Rita in telling the story, that every moment from then on has been weighed by her guilt. And she, she even mentions, you know, I have been searching so long for absolution, for a way to balance the scales, and I don't think it's ever going to come. And this moment for her is tragic, but at the same time, it is vital to her journey and to her recovery and to finding out who she wants to be from here— Coming to grips with that guilt, coming to grips with the worst mistake she's made in her entire life really does influence everything that she does going forward, and it gives her the kickstart that she needs to progress her journey through the end of the season. On uh, the next episode, Penulti- Penultimate Patrol, she finally starts to take the reins. She starts to decide her own fate uh, while everyone is being... Um, basically like forced to live through their their biggest traumas by Mr. Nobody, she is the first one to realize that she can take control of the narrative by doing her own narration. Uh, She even makes this really profound statement where, you know, Mr. Nobody's like, if you, you know, try and... Because he's basically making dream sequences for them that they can stay in and they never have to face the fact that they had become, you know, these monsters that they had been seeing themselves as for the entire season. And Rita makes this incredible... um, self-realization where she says i have become a monster long before my accident and in reality all of the terrible stuff that had happened to them helped to break her away from this vicious cycle that she had been keeping herself under and she says i'm sick of someone else telling my story which is not just incredible in the moment in the like context of like you know mr nobody has been you know, uh, manipulating everything by his narration. This is also her taking that step forward and saying, I am done being, um, being weighed down by who Rita Far it or was. And now I'm going to take steps forward and decide who Rita Far is. Now, having made the decision to leave the old Rita behind at the end of the first season, she begins the second season trying to find out who the new Rita can be. Uh, Maybe because of the lingering guilt, maybe because she was inspired by her fellow misfits, uh, Rita sets out on a journey to become something greater, and she starts to take on different roles— within this season. Uh, Her first big one is superhero. She really, you know, being inspired by Cyborg, who is a legit, you know, card-carrying superhero, she starts training with him, trying to get a better handle on her powers, trying to come up with, like, a persona. Um, She even, in uh, the episode Time Patrol, gives this mission briefing, which I, it's my favorite part of the episode, where she's got these, like, um these what's it called these drawings for her mission briefing and she keeps turning the page and everyone's like did a three-year-old draw that she's like i drew it um and she's bad at being a leader but you know you have to stumble before you can crawl before you can walk you have to make mistakes before you find out what you do well and eventually she kind of settles on this persona as the beekeeper uh, <laughs> which is amazing uh there's this great like little sequence where she has this like title intro set to the old um avengers opening from like i believe it was like the 60s or the 70s not the avengers you're thinking of but like the spy tv show the avengers where she's like um beekeeper and borg and you know cyborg is is a huge um influence on the entire team throughout both seasons but his you know His support, whether it's reluctant or not, really does help Rita to try and figure out if being a superhero is right for her. Alongside that, she also kind of falls into the role of big sister. Uh, The second season introduces us to Dorothy, uh, Niles' daughter, and someone who is, just like Rita, trying to figure out who she is. She is this little girl who's who's been basically kept in isolation for decades and now you know Dorothy is looking for uh, parental figures you know big brothers and big sisters and even though Rita does try her best to give Dorothy the kind of support that she never got, at the same time, she is unable to really be exactly what Dorothy needs. Because, I mean, even in the uh, the episode where she really gets to connect with Dorothy, Sex Patrol, uh, she is still kind of haunted by the actions of her mother, you know, being someone who l- literally told her, like, you're... Your talents are, you know, great and all, but you have other talents and you should focus on those. And she you know, accidentally repeats this line to Dorothy at the lowest moment in her life. And this unfortunately kind of sets Dorothy on the path to, you know, unleashing the Candlemaker and all the stuff that, all the terrible stuff that comes with that. So just like being a superhero, being a big sister doesn't come easy to her. Uh, and that doesn't mean that she fails at it either because she does, uh, succeed in her big sister role to Larry. Every episode that shows a flashback between her and Larry really kind of, you know, hits home how much their friendship has meant to Larry. The two of them, for you know, decades, were the only two people that they could count on. And so anytime that they're able to spend with each other, you know, they always, sometimes they're bickering like a married couple, sometimes they're able to support each other like brother and sister, and it's really, you know, it's beautiful. It is one of the best friendships in the entire show. Now, both of those roles are good enough, but at the same time, uh, while uh rita is taking steps forward she also kind of tends to come to where she is comfortable and that means being an actress and in season two it means being a very small time actress uh she auditions and gets a role in the uh in the local play our town which is a play basically like in the vein of the laramie project uh if you haven't seen that show it's basically a bunch of um first hand accounts of people in the town of Laramie after the death of uh, I believe his name was Matt Shepard and so this episode this play is basically all of these testimonials about the incident of the first episode where you know there's this uh girl who plays the blob lady and it's it's hilarious and this is where you know um Rita gets the role of the beekeeper where she ends up going to shadow the I don't know if it's the beekeeper that is referenced in the in the in the play or whether this is just the local beekeeper, but she starts to come to grips with her relationship with her mother by shadowing this. uh, I don't know if they gave her a name or not, but the uh, local beekeeper about how, you know, mothers make choices. Uh, to benefit their kids whether they recognize that it will bring them trauma or hurt them in the long run and this is another step in Rita you know coming to grips with her trauma and with the emotional abuse that she has endured throughout her entire you know her entire life unfortunately you know with any kind of trauma it does linger in her life regardless of how much progress she made um i mentioned already the sex patrol episode where she is unfortunately you know not able to uh, stop herself from essentially teaching dorothy the same thing her mother taught her uh in time patrol when they are going after uh dr time um there's a moment where he kind of links with her and he says you know your mother was right you'll always be a fraud and this kind of carries into her journey of self-discovery in this season where even though the, um, the actress who is playing the blob lady in our town is completely out of touch with who Rita is as a person, she hits on a lot of the stuff that Rita you know, believes about herself, you know, she says, I'm just gonna read the quote here, you know, there's a neediness there, like a little girl trapped in a woman's body still desperately vying for the approval of her mother. And the resentment of her mother is keeping her from what she's meant to do. And there's this, you know, it's like punching through a brick wall, Rita realizes all of the stuff that she's been dealing with has been basically because she's had a struggle with growing up she's had a struggle of she struggled with not being able to essentially enjoy her childhood because she realized as a child that her mother was committing favors to get her way in the world and she kind of learned from that and in her you know childlike mind decided that you know this is the only way that people are going to accept me and this is the only way that I'm going to succeed and that developed into this very deep-set imposter syndrome with chronic self-doubt that she has carried with her throughout her entire life. You know, she uh, when she's screaming at these bees, which is, again, an incredible scene, you know, she's basically trying to talk to her mother and yell at her mother, and she says, how am I supposed to fix something inside of me that you broke? You basically taught me that I... I am not able to succeed based on my own merit. I have to take shortcuts and I have to, you know, do favors for people to get my way. And I'm never going to be good enough without doing those favors. And this all kind of gets um, embodied in the final episode of season two, uh, Wax Patrol, where she is confronted by her old... uh, her old imaginary friend, Mademoiselle Roxy, who is this, you know, paper doll she, you know, cobbled together from different newspaper ads and uses the eyes from a picture of her mother. Uh, the two of them have this, like, weird tap dance contest, which is, I I love it. I love it. As a theater kid, uh, it just, it makes my heart sing. But she, you know, comes to this realization in talking with Mademoiselle Roxy that she is able to get past the trauma and the imposter syndrome but only if she accepts you know the fact that she did some terrible stuff of her own volition too you know she can't keep running from people and you know when um when the candlemaker you know kind of takes control of Mademoiselle Roxy you know he says that's why you always need a role because you don't know who you are and unfortunately because of the uh short cutoff for season two due to covid, uh, we don't really get a resolution for that. But, I mean, of course, you know, like the, like any good comic book, the story goes on. You know, Rita's adventures with the Doom Patrol aren't over, especially because we know that they're at least getting a season three following this. Uh, and just like any journey of recovery from trauma, the fight against her inner darkness doesn't just end. It sits with you and you carry it with you for your entire life. There's no magical fix for what she's gone through, and at the end of the day, she would be worse off if there was. When trying to figure out who you are, the history of who you were matters. Every bit of it, good and bad. Throughout the series, Rita has struggled to shed the illusion of Rita far, and has found out that she is so much more than she ever gave herself credit for. You know, she's not that little girl desperately trying to you know do a song and dance just to get the approval of the world she is someone who has value and even though she may not have found some kind of uh you know grand role for herself at this point at the end of the second season her journey is about realizing that she has grown as a person and it's okay for rita to just be rita flaws and all and that's an important lesson for everybody you know, if I can if I can get personal for a second, I moved out to Los Angeles to be an actor in 2016. Um, I kind of fell into acting growing up, and it was the first thing that I ever really felt like I was good at. You know, moving out here was hard. Moving to a big city for the first time is hard enough, but moving out here and getting caught up in the, I think, complicated is an understatement, but the sea— of Hollywood is even harder. I had a tough time figuring out who I was when I was growing up, and being an actor was the, fel- was the first time that I felt like I knew who I was. It was the first time I felt like I had value. And being out here, oh my god, let me tell you, it beats you down very quickly, and it doesn't care who you are, which makes trying to figure out your own identity much harder. So watching someone like Rita Farr, who had gone through the entire Hollywood process, the highs, the lows, the auditions, everything, and still didn't know who she was, really resonated with me. Four years on living here in Los Angeles, and I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Uh, And taking in the good and the bad is important in figuring that out. It's a process that I've been working on for my entire life. And it continues to be an ongoing process. There's no, you know, end game where it's like, I will be completely okay with who I am and I will never have doubts or struggle with imposter syndrome ever. That's just not how this goes. Um, and honestly, you know, with the Doom Patrol, watching people who struggle with the same stuff I struggle with, makes me feel better it makes me feel like I'm not alone it dares to stare at the things that scare us and it says keep going all of the characters throughout all of their journeys are faced with adversity and they are able to find it within themselves whether it's through their own personal realizations or through the support of their friends they are able to continue to move forward no matter how hard it gets And that's honestly what the Doom Patrol means to me. It's why I was incredibly humbled and honored to be asked to participate in this series. Praise Patrol is all about giving, you know honor and you know giving respect back to the creators of this show the entire team you know behind the camera in front of the camera uh it means a lot to know that they are telling honest stories even though they are in these you know fantastical trappings and april bulby you know playing rita far is someone that i connect with and i will always 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 thank her, the writers, the directors, everyone involved with this show for giving me that uh, that support. You know, we're all struggling to figure out who we are. We all struggle to figure out where we belong. And sometimes I think we forget that our identity is made up of good things and bad things. You know, we all try to idealize what, you know what our lives could be if we didn't make mistakes or if we didn't make that one mistake or if we didn't, you know, do that one thing. But just focusing on that and kind of forcing yourself to um, judge everything you do by the mistakes you've made is just the worst. It is so unhealthy and it doesn't help anyone at any point. You know, we all make mistakes, we all stumble during our lifetime, but we need to remember that we are greater than our failures. Who you are is greater than the sum of your parts. You know, the original tagline for the Doom Patrol comic was, The World's Strangest Heroes. And I think that that is the perfect name for this uh, band of misfits and freaks, you know, I think there's something to that, uh, that title of being the world's strangest heroes. You know, it looks, it basically takes these broken people and tells them that they too can still be heroes. Rita's journey alongside the Doom Patrol proves that anyone, no matter where they come from, no matter what mistakes they made, no matter how strange they are, can be a hero. You can be a hero. And anytime you struggle to remember who you are, take a deep breath and remember the person who is breathing is me. And at the end of the day, you are enough. So once again, I want to give a big thank you to Cole from Critical Rants for putting this whole thing together. This idea, this the Praise Patrol series was all his idea for all of us to just kind of talk about why we love the show, why we love these characters, and to give a big thank you to the hardworking casting crew that put everything together and makes it so strange so uh, make sure you check out the entire series on YouTube um, if you want to contribute to the series let Cole know find him on Twitter find him on YouTube uh, link him up with your own love letter to the show and it will get added to the queue so if you like what we do here this is the Explained podcast you can follow us at Explained pod that's at Explained pod on Twitter and Instagram uh, you can find the full podcast wherever podcasts are found just look up Geeksplained podcast and you will find us we release new episodes every single wednesday and it's pretty much just like this just me talking about the stuff i love so if you like what i do here feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice but for now for geek explained this is eric azana thank you very much for listening and stay strange